Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smorridge, and joining us are our panel of Michael Chidester, Jess Finley, Stephen Cheney, Kendra Brown, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. This is episode 36, where we'll be looking at lines 95 to... I haven't done my homework. 95. Just, nope, just, just lines complete 95. 95, that's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, on handedricken or hand pressing, which is what I thought the last episode was on, but it turns out I had no idea what HEMA even is. Um, sweet. We're going to plow through this pretty quickly. Steve and Michael Chillister, do you have anything to say about the word Drucken in early High New German? Should we maybe we read started? out the couplet at some point? No, no, we'll, we'll just do Drucken quickly. What is it? I want to hear what Jess Finley has to say about Drucken first. No! Steve ruined everything I have to think about, Trugan. I'm all done. I'm not talking about it. Sorry. <laughs> we can at least bring it up. I don't know. Yeah, sure, sure. So so if Drugan could have a softer C sound rather than a harder C sound, um, rather than pressing, it could also be referring to like a bear trap that um, that comes with a comes together with a spring and and presses two jaws together um and and that that word um comes up in the hunting stuff all the time and uh as far as i can tell nobody agrees in the etymology of that word whether it is truly related to the idea of of pressing or whether it's related to other ideas so, um, so it'd be really cool if it's a if it's a hand trap that is um, trapping the opponent's hands between um, your long and your short edge as you transform your slice. But uh, as Steve pointed out, oftentimes uh, the hard and the soft C's are are separated. Though in this case, nobody knows the etymology, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for ruining the cool. Analogy. It was a useful idea. It was a useful idea. It still could be. Who knows? It is the best explanation that's probably not true of possibly <laughs> any of the glosses or any of the plays. So I still think it's true. One one other thing that I was thinking of before that I never followed up on really looking up was like a, some kind of uh, press tool. Like we know, we all know of the printing press, which is like the like the same word Duken, but the printing press was is a little bit too late for what we're uh, looking up. But there's other kind of pressing stuff. The printing press wasn't the first kind of press, but again, I didn't really follow up on. Uh, it, yeah, up on any it of that was stuff. developed from Devon cider press technology. Um, as well as sometimes it gets spelled Truken with a T. Um, which of course just could be an alternate spelling, or it also could be uh, a different word. Troken is the way we would have it now with an O, um, which ha relates to the idea of dryness. But this comes up with shaving. Barbers are are troken, right? Like dry cutting. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we're shaving their arms. All right, so I'm going to put out here as we start this that this is the verse that the glossators and authors in the tradition seem to have no fucking clue about. That everybody disagrees about what the interpretation is, 
and it's not even consistent with an RDL, which is not the only place where it's inconsistent there. But because there's only one couplet and one play in each one, it means that even they don't. It means that the agreement is total. Disagreement is total. And three two two seven A and other sources also have radically different explanations that aren't even conceptually related. So this could be a place where everybody was just like shrug. I don't know why Lichtenauer had this verse, but I'll I have to teach something. Well, but we know that the all of the glosses were written by the same person just at different times. So maybe it's that right, they got taught different things every decade, right? Maybe he didn't know and he was just writing down all of his theories. <laughs> or maybe like it's one of those secret techniques where as you go up the belt ranks you get given a completely different explanation of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll go with that. I kind of wish maybe somebody just really, really screwed up early on and Hedda Druken wasn't supposed to be a Hopstuka and it was supposed to be Hangen and Spreschfenster, but somebody labeled it wrong and then everybody's just like, well, we have to go with this now. <laughs> I would also believe that since this is basically just an extension of the four slices. The question of why this is a Hauptstücke is a really interesting question. Um, it's one of my favorite ones to ask nerd, to ask people who want to be nerds about it, is why is this a Hauptstück? Um, but yeah, let's read the verse. Should we read the text? Okay, let's read it, and then I want to answer that question. So who's reading? Am I reading? Because it looks like... Uh, okay. We lose Joey? Yeah. yeah, Joey's having some connection problems because of all the snow out in. Who has the best German accent? Out in the mountains. Um, okay. Steve I'll can read, read the German the, uh, and I'll read the English. <laughs> okay. I'll read the German then. Dein Schneidwende zu Flächen trug die Hände. Turn your edge just like that. Press your hands to the flat. What a rhyme. The greatest I want to hear Steve yeah. tell us why this is a Hauptstück. Why is this one okay. of the 17 Hauptstücks, Steve? So one of the ideas, I don't know if I 100% believe this now, but one of the ideas that I have had before is that much like Hangin and Vinden, which obviously we haven't gotten to yet, but at least in um, Danzig and Lev, uh, Hangin seemed to, be, seemed to refer to like ox and plow positions. And then Vinden is can be seen as like a movement between them. So similar to that, the four slices with uh, two below and two above are kind of four slicing positions. And then the Handetruken would be the movement between them. So mm -hmm. just the uh, possibility that. Except that Hangen is also the movement between the Hangen in Ringek. Yeah, yeah, but like that's that's next episode, and it's really interesting stuff. Okay, fine, we'll save that one. Yeah, Ringek ruins it a little bit, but yeah. as far as <laughs> that's why I specified <laughs> Danzig and Lev. Freaking Ringek. All right, as we know, how, Lev how is the, the one that I care about most. But I don't know for, for me, if you can remember Handedrichen, then you can remember Abschneiden, sure. Yeah, but like when we're talking about like you know, I mentioned this last episode, but. Whenever somebody, like from what I've observed, whenever somebody is watching a tournament and say, hey, that person did a really good hand pressing, usually they're referring to one of the four slices and they're just pressing into their hands, not the, uh, not the play that we're about to hear about. 
which I don't know if I've ever seen in its entirety in a tournament. Hmm. Fair. All right. I'll read the gloss. Gloss, remember, this is how you shall drive the two overslices from the two underslices. Undertake it thus. When he runs in towards you with upstretched arms on your left side, twist your fork twist your sword and fall with your long edge under his hilt into his arms and press firmly upwards fast. And with that, amid the pressing, step towards his right side and wind your pommel through below and remain on his arms with your sword. And turn your sword from lower slice into the upper slice with your long edge over his arms. So he comes in, berserker, hands up high. You get the underslice. He pushes down. You wrap it round into the overslice. All right. And the second play is literally the same thing, but on the other side. You do a lot of. Not going to read There that is out. one interesting symmetry break to highlight, though, which is that the overslice is always done with the long edge, but the underslice is done with the long or the short edge, depending on the side. So, in one of the two hand trappings or hand pressings here, you're changing edges, and in the other one, you're using the same edge and redirecting and coming back on with the same edge. True. Um, true, and that's true. an interesting symmetry break because of how the slices work. Because three of the four slices are long edge slices. And then is is this ringek that has a last section? Yeah, yeah but I, it's basically the same thing. It's not the. Okay. Uh, you may also drive this when you come running in with a slice with a slice into his arm underneath, such as your point goes out against his right side. So this is your sword that's pointing left to your left. So with that, press firmly upwards with the slice, and amid the pressing, spring with your left foot towards his right side, and turn your sword with the long edge over above over his arms, such that your point goes out against his left side, and with that, press his arm from you. You have thus transformed the underslice into the over, drive this to both sides. So the thing that fascinates me here is, this is, I think, the only place in the gloss um, where there's a sort of role reversal, in that typically plays are framed as your opponent gives you stimulus and you respond. But here you, but in ring hand, hand pressing, he's doing the same play as Danzig and Lev, but he's offering both the stimulus and the response. So he's not waiting for his opponent to run in. He's rushing in to provoke his opponent and then doing the counter to rushing in against him. So it's a thing that I've seen people teach for many, many plays is sort of forcing the play by making your opponent respond a certain way. And this is the only place that it's explicitly in the text that you don't have to wait for him. You can create that context yourself and then take advantage of it, which is often called pressuring your opponent. So instead, and it sort of raises the question about how many other techniques in the gloss can be done in similar fashion or should be done in similar fashion to me. Um, how often should you be not waiting for your opponent to set up the technique but just deciding to use a technique and then forcing it. So the obvious parallel to this in some ways is the inverter, actually. Um, firstly, I, uh, before I go into this too much, um, that's a really good observation about Ringek, which I actually hadn't noticed before, so thanks. Um, the, but the idea of, especially if you're bridging from wider distance to closer distance, rushing in with a threat above to drive their arms up and then transitioning to the slices you continue to close the distance is a really elegant way to create a particular setup is something i often try to teach students i'm training with especially because i mostly teach one-to-one -one where it's easier to practice stuff like this um 
that you don't just need to wait for the coach to give you a cue, but you can create create a situation where the coach is likely to give you, where the opponent is likely to give you a particular response, and then transition into the action you want to pull off. Um, something else which you can do um, in sparring if you are playing that way, um, and especially if you're really good at the finishing action from a particular setup, um, this is just kind of getting into general fencing theory, um, is that you can kind of mentally, for sparring, score yourself the exchange is successful when you get the setup and then not actually do the finish and go off and do something else instead. Which can be a particularly fun way to fence people who you think you're going to need to beat in tournaments later because you don't actually teach them your secret finishing move so they don't know what to worry about. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can practice getting them to give you the setup for your secret finishing move um, and then just not doing it and like running away or something instead um, and breaking off the exchange. But you know that if you get some particular setup, you'll be able to score very reliably, which can be quite a fun technical challenge um, and a fun kind of tactical challenge. So I guess we should think about what to say next. Um, Has anybody ever done this play in sparring in its entirety? No. Nope. <laughs> I have sliced people out of the ring. I've sliced people onto the floor. I've never done this play. If you can pull it off at long point, it's worth control points. I don't think I've ever seen it, though. Only if I you control. follow it up with a deep target, because a, uh, a, a uh, wrist slice is not a deep target. No, I'm pretty sure in the most recent rules, if you hold your sword on their wrists until halt, then it counts. Really? I thought it was only after you hit a deep target. Maybe that's uh, changed. I think I you would morally get control points at this point because the director would be like, "What the fuck was that?" Control points. Right. We uh, we revisit this issue a lot. I don't, I thought that we changed it. We might not have. Or the director um, would be like, "What the fuck was that?" I don't know what just happened. No points. Reset. <laughs> no exchange. Right. I definitely got control points at long point for parrying with my hands while I stabbed a guy in the chest. So you know. It's okay. Even if the director doesn't see it, Lichten our side, and he approved. <laughs> Remember that. So, so I have a question about the book. <laughs> okay, go for it. Um, so it says turn, turn to the flat, right? The fuck yeah. is that about? Yeah. Pardon my, pardon my <laughs> language there. Just Jeff I think we've really cursed mean, more in the past five minutes than ever in this in this podcast. <laughs> right. I afterwards. But, but okay, so, but what is it about turn to the flat, right? In the gloss, in any of the glosses, even when, even 3227A, like, has no interest in discussing the flat in this case. I have a thought, but I wanted to hear from you guys first. I have three thoughts. I know about that them. I have no idea. <laughs> I have one really bad answer. So that's well, all I, I can do. I have, three thoughts. I have three thoughts. I can't guarantee any of them are true, but three thoughts. Oh, Enough first, for all of us. Yeah. First, I would like to say here, um, Lev is good to us again. He changes the Zettel gloss. Yeah. Instead of pressing the hands to flats, he says press it to flee. So he uses like the... Yeah, yeah. He, he has um, turn your edge to flee, press your hands. Does it not have that? Well, that, you, that, that resolves it by like, you know, the how when you're withdrawing with the hand pressing. So, but that doesn't change the fact that it is flats in other places. 
So one thing that I've heard that I don't agree with is that it can be seen as press the hands to flatten. So you're flattening the person. I know, yeah, Jess is making a face I here. I, yeah, I, I agree with, with Jess's face. I don't think that the grammar supports that. I think it's it, it says flats. Um, which brings me to my third thing, which is a potential explanation, which is the right side underslice goes with the short edge. So as you're transforming your slice, you move from short edge to long edge, which means you have to be in contact with the flats at some point. So that's the best I got. This was the the best answer I was going to give, um, or the the closest thing to an answer I was going to give. That if you go from the short edge to the long edge, there like necessarily is a flat somewhere in between those. It's it's like a continuous function, right? Um, right. Uh, but <laughs> I don't really have a good explanation for why. Beyond that, I have the glosses mention yeah. the flat outside the verse. Uh -uh. No, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of head shaking. <laughs> And I know that Harry's used this as an as an example that the glossator is not understanding the verse. And I think his personal pet theory was that it, this was supposed to be half sorting and the place that half sorting fits into the table, but the glossators dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So you're pressing the hand to the flat by grabbing your own flat. Because in some places it seems to say press your hand to the flat. There's another weird flat section actually which links into what we talked about with last episode which is that in the crump in some of the copies it says that you do a crump to the blade instead of cutting onto their flat by striking with your own flats and i think the dresden ring echo is one of the examples of that that's and that's seven a i don't know about dresden i think it's in dresden let me it pull up dresden i have it right here give me a second uh hughes cuts thrust in all winding um, Faulkner does show this, well, maybe not this play, but he does show uh, slicing against Kron, but yeah. with the half sword. So that's worthy of note. That does show up. I think um, it's Lev that specifically says press your hand and not the generic the hand. Um, I'm not sure if others do. My notes say that Nicolaus yeah. does as well. Yeah, Lev says thine hand. Yeah. So this translation of Ring-X says that it's just crump to the flats, but I've definitely seen at least one translation which says it's crump with the flat. Um, mm. So I don't know to what extent that's a translation disagreement. I don't have enough German to have an opinion. Um, I think Keith Farrell's translation said it was with, so maybe it was a weird quirk of going through Swedish on the way. Um, <laughs> I think the German is crump zu den Flächen. How crump zu den Flächen den Meistern will to situation? Station, mm -hmm. not Ethan. Yeah. Yeah, in 3227A, the person wrote with the flat and then crossed it out. A row wrote to the flat and crossed it out and wrote with the flat on top above it. Um, mm -hmm. So that one it was definitely intended to be with the flat, although why he says that, I don't know. You can do a flat crimp and it totally well, works. I don't know that it's in any remote way better than doing it with the ever slap the flat on their sword and as the flat rebounds off their sword you shoot the long edge into their face um, which is a pretty fun version but i think disagrees with the edge that you're supposed to hit them in the face with so that's a mild problem with it <laughs> uh, but it's a cool a cool little technique um the i started the... wondering about the um turning the flat being like i know 
most of the interpretations I've seen of this to date, including mine, um, end up with your edges being like at, at right angles to the arm, if that makes sense. And that in the process of this, you kind of circumnavigate the arm, um, like you're cutting a circle around. And I started wondering about what if when you were pressing up with your slice, you were filleting the arm. So you're thinking about turning your flat with your slice rather than pressing up with your edge. Is that, are you so with me? To what I'm trying to so you're kind of pushing the edge on and then turning the flat through to like scoop into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that you, you could from your under slice, like right up under their arm to their elbows. And then with your over slice come down along the arm so that you're like flaying them like a fish. Yeah. We're all like a little more grossed out by that. And that seems to be maybe, maybe worthy of noting. <laughs> Cause a sword will do that. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool, the, isn't it? The, the Peter Falconer play here. Sorry, I'm rewinding the conversation one sec, Jess. It's super yep. interesting because it's definitely in this it's definitely in the spot that we'd normally have that this hender driven would normally be. But also the it's slice against the crown. Uh Schneid Vida Dicon. But I thought that the, the crown um, yeah, was so the short and the sword half sorting seems to be the one doing not the fight. The I would assign them to, which is interesting. Ah. But in, in, in Clooney and in Wilhelm, the person who's doing the half sorting is in crown, and the person who's getting half is in is doing a shadow. Uh, yeah, Faulkner seems to mix it up. I, I don't know what that. Ah. Means that we know nothing with John. Mix it up. I mean, change it up. I don't mean that he's wrong, but he's definitely also a Sidon Faden's half sorted crown. And in uh, your Wilhelm, the picture that's shown in the Faulkner is actually uh, the person in half sword is in crown, and the other person is hooking with the cross and wrenching down. And it could line up with the picture in Clooney that might be how you, uh, what is the missing verse in the Scheidelhau? Press the strokes and with slices, pull them away. Mm -hmm. that, that's my theory about the, the hooking play in Clooney anyways. That has absolutely no evidence to it, but it's possible. Well, that the, the hooking, the hooking, uh, the half sword cron happens in poleaxe all the time. Like that's everywhere in poleaxe. That's armored play one oh one or with uh with a morge log, you you play mm. with that. Um so yeah, that's uh, maybe a later adoption or mixing of uh armored stuff back into bluffs, which you see all the time. Mm. Wrenching thing down is really hard to do, by the way. And with resistance against someone doing half sword. Just kind of throw that out. <laughs> yeah, it's probably easier with the pull X. <laughs> well, with half sword, they're, they're trying to. The, the half sorter is trying to get their point forward, so they're, they're turning away your target for the wrenching. So 
and your lever is pretty short if you have both hands on your grip. Oh, well, if you if you do get the uh, hook, then you can pull it down. That's that's one thing yeah. I'm pretty sure about. <laughs> that's not a problem. Yeah. It's actually yeah. hooking it is the problem. Especially because you're pulling them forward a little bit, oh. not just down, which is well. kind of a different direction to the way they're resist. They're ready to resist. Like you're, if I if I'm up here and I've hooked you with my pommel, I'm pulling you down and a little bit towards me, and that yeah. that's that's not the direction you're trying to resist uh, force in. What's that, Jess? Nothing. I was misunderstanding which hook you guys were talking about. Yeah, the, I was between hooking with the hooks. Like this the is probably is different. easier. Yeah, that one's super easy. That's why I was like, huh. Right. <laughs> or this. So. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hooking over like from a bloss grip with your with your pommel, um, with both hands on it seems really hard to do. I and kind of risky if you don't have gauntlets on. Ring does have a counter It's a great way to get your hand sliced, which brings us back you're to You're trying hand to pressing. beat you're trying to beat somebody bench pressing with your barbell row. <laughs> <Yeah>. Mechanically. <laughs> it's the pulling in right? versus the pushing away. <laughs> And the the thing which like the the thing which you need to do to make it work is you have to not be opposing the bench press, but like if they're benching up, you have to be pulling them not down but down and forwards, mm. and then you can then you're working at a different angle to their pressure, and that helps you a lot in what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. There is a counter to this, by the way, in the additional plays which you find in Ring Egg, which basically is if they try to hook you with the pommel downwards, you shoot your pommel through. No, if they try to shoot their pommel through underneath, you hook your pommel downwards and pull them down. And that's kind of the reverse idea. They're pushing forward, so you pull down. Whereas here, they're pushing upwards, so you can pull forwards. And in both cases, you're not opposing the direction of their movement. You're not opposing the direction of their movement. You're moving laterally, kind of laterally-ish across it. Yeah, it's, it's talking it. All right. Which comes back to the Abschneiden slices, right? <laughs> like that's, that's really ultimate, ultimately my question is, is, should our slices be in opposition to the movement, or should they be tangential to the movement and look for a fillet rather than a I don't know than a circle yeah for me the over slice is definitely redirecting to one side the mm -hmm. under slice where their hands are high and outstretched for me is a matter of getting all of your your sort of structure underneath them so that they're trying to to pull down which is a lot more difficult than somebody what am i trying to say here that that it's a, you can push a lot stronger than you can pull normally that's what i'm trying to say that makes sense um all right sweet i think we're going to wrap up here because one little a... thing i want to add before oh, we finish yeah go ahead um is that travis mayer has a really cool variation of like there's the there's the idea which i think is reasonably common of sort of slicing relating to hanging or slicing relating to hand pressing in the same way that hanging relates to winding. And Travis Mayer has a really cool framing of winding where it's kind of a, a sort of a pulling action where you, you turn the edge and pull them into your workspace, kind of closer to you, um, to take control of their sword. Um, and if you do that with something like this, what you end up with is instead of trying to do the whole ex action relatively extended, you, you kind of you extend out in the first slice and then you change the edge and pull them in towards you. And that's the direction they're already trying to move. So you kind of carry them past you. And that can be a really elegant maneuver. 
Um, I know I, I think I showed this to Jess when I visited in late 2019 as a, a concept. Um, I haven't really had a good opportunity to play with it in a fencing context because the world happened in 2020. But it's mm -hmm. an interesting framing, um, quite different to the usual models of this, but potentially quite valuable. Because you end up with, like, you, you slice against them from underneath, and then you turn the edge by crossing your hands and shortening them, and by doing that, you kind of hook the short edge onto the top of their forearms and pull them back past you, as you're you're suddenly tugging someone past your uh, past your shoulder, um, which is very hard to resist if they've just been resisting pressure against them because they're probably pushing against that pressure. It's just you end up with a push pull sort of mechanic. Pressing. Yeah, because I think still in the um, somebody check the check the gloss for me, but I'm pretty sure it still says that once you once you come over with your overslice, you're still pressing them away in the hand hand Yeah, I think it still says that. It says vend mit dein Schwert mit der Langeschneid und oben über sein Arme des den Ort gegen seiner linken Seite und Segen und Truck. Yeah, it says Truck. Yeah. So whether you think throwing something over your shoulder is the same as pressing it, I don't know. That 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 feels tricky. Uh, so it it's says a stretch. you're gonna it says you press him from you in the second one, which is um the short edge to long edge. In the first one, which is long to long, it just says rain on his arms with your sword. Turn your sword um, with into the upper slice with your long edge on his arms. So it's possible they're describing two different actions here, like two different mechanics, and not just the same thing on both sides. I never thought of that before. Well, obviously, since I only care about Ringek, he explicitly says it is the same thing on both sides. So uh, he does. It's true, although he doesn't say it's the same thing as Danzig and Low on either side. Um, so there's that. But <laughs> Um, before I wrap up, I want to bring up two observations, which is bringing in all the weird stuff from outside RDLN. In Talhafa, there's minor justification for it being a half-sword type play. Um, he tells you to reverse your edge very quickly into the Tver, move close to the man, and jab with the hilt, um, and then you have two attacks, which could be, so turn your sword crosswise, jab with your hilt, kind of sounds like you might be wanting to have sword there. Whereas in 3227A, it is completely disconnected from anything we've talked about so far. And in 3227A, he this is a section that's explaining the importance of using your long edge for parrying. And he uses the word, he fixates on the verb venden quite a lot and connects it to the to abvenden, which is turning aside or turning away your opponent's attack, and is all about how you should be parrying with the strong if you're long edge all the time, and that's the best way to upvend to turn away your opponent's attack. He doesn't get into what why you're pressing hands on the flat, unfortunately, um, but that's his interpretation of what turning the edge is meant to mean, that every time you get attacked, you should turn your long edge into it. Um, and it's actually a neat little complex, compact explanation of parrying mechanics. He also well, adds then, five extra couplets to it. Yeah, and in his extra couplets, he he goes into um, connecting Hindertruken rather than being connecting it to Abschneiden, connecting it to Hengen and Vinden, 
Mm-hmm. So you would have yeah. a, a triad with a with a special monster living in the center of that. So that's also a a fun way to think about it. I'll just read off my translation here, and then maybe we can be done with this. Um, and so he says, "Turn your head just like that. Press his hands to the flat." That's Harry's part that he, we already read, right? Um, then he goes on. One thing is winding, another is turning, the third is hanging. If you want to make fencers despair, then always press while shoving over his hands. Cut and slice swiftly. Also drop the slices above over his head. Whoever presses the hands pulls his fingers back without injury, which I don't know what that means either, but apparently you can save your fingers this way. And then there's yeah a whole paragraph about the importance of turning your long edge into any parries you make. Uh, saving your fingers sounds to me like uh, half-sorting in Blossfecton. Yeah. I was going to say that I was. That's what I had. That's thought that I had just now was this could again go back to half sorting, but again, it doesn't actually half sorting doesn't connect to anything else it's talking about. So I don't know if that section was in Talhofer, it would confirm that it's all about half sorting to me, but it's in the wrong book. Isn't everything? Yeah, <laughs> that's all I have. All right, going, going. On. Thank you very much for listening to Defense and by the Book, uh, the podcast we've taken an in-depth look at the earliest Chanel glosses. Um, thank you for listening to this super short episode. Our panel today has been Jess Finley, Kendra Brown, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and very briefly, Johanna Hopfgardner. I've been your host, Mike Smoridge. Woo! Wait, we forgot to ask what the Latin says. Oh, bummer. What does it say, Kendra? Um, the thing I was holding off asking because Mike has to go is, is this in Meyer? Because this reminds me of Meyer choreography I used to do, but we can look that up. Yeah, you have Meyer does stuff like this. Um, and see if it's the thing I'm thinking of later. The Latin has only one bit of gloss. We only did and... like 40 minutes. It was a short episode. <laughs> um, says if the like enemy <laughs> if the enemy runs in towards the right side having lifted his arm in this way then you place the sword under below his sword hilt the long of the sword having been turned back into the arm and lift firmly thence if you proceed toward the left side of the adversary the pommel having been transferred below after you turn back the long edge above the arm of the enemy from the long edge into the form of the cutting into, thence you drive back. Yep, same thing. What's the title here? Uh, No title. Oh.